Do I need to be circumcised to operate in righteousness? No. But if I'm going to be in covenant relationship with the Almighty, that's where the circumcision comes in. It wasn't just Abraham who entered into that covenant, but it was Abraham's household. It was all the men of Abraham's house. And so the circumcision is a seal of the covenant, not a seal of righteousness or of faith. And this is where I think people miss it. Because you, people think that in order for you to be a man of faith, you got to be circumcised. In order for you to be a righteous person, you got to be circumcised. No, the circumcision was a covenant. It was the seal of the righteousness and the faith one already had. Shalom, saints, and welcome to our verse-by-verse -verse study of the book of Genesis. I'm your host and teacher, Arthur Bailey. When Abimelech heard that Abraham said that Sarah was his sister, he sent for Sarah and took her. What relation was Sarah to Abraham? The term sister in Hebrew could refer to a relative. Jehovah threatens Abimelech's life in a dream and afflicted him, his wife, and his slave girls for unknowingly taking Abraham's wife. Abimelech declared himself as a man of integrity and his nation as a righteous nation. Jehovah agrees with Abimelech as a man of integrity of heart, and he kept Abimelech from sinning against him with Sarah. Today's study title is Abraham the Prophet. So, let's study. Today, as I said, we're going to be talking about Abraham the prophet, and we are going to breeze <laughs> through these, I believe there are 21 verses in this passage. Nope, there are 18, and we're going to go through all of them. Uh, we'll speak a little bit more about our Hebrew Roots University at the end of our service today, and hopefully you'll be able to go to HebrewRootsUniversity.com and take our survey there. Verse 1, And Abraham journeyed from thence toward the south country and dwelled between Kadesh and Shur, and sojourned in Gerah. Now, the last we note that Abraham was in a place called Mamre. And so where he journeyed from was this place which is called Mamre. And Abraham dwelt in Mamre, which was in the region of the Dead Sea as we know it today, the Salt Sea, as it has been mentioned. And we know that there was a circumstance where Sodom and Gomorrah were rained on from fire and brimstone from heaven. And so after this situation where father judged this area, Abraham decided to leave that region, and he traveled from Mamre to a place called Gerah. And what I did is I went on the map, and I found, because Mamre, or the location of Mamre, still exists in the land, and Gerah. And so if we were to try to make that journey today, Going on the routes that are for driving, it would take about an hour and 12 minutes 
to drive from Mamre to Gerar. Now, understand that Abraham have much wealth. He has a lot of people, a lot of animals, and he's going by foot. And so this is a long journey that they take. Now, what the text doesn't tell us, it doesn't tell us how long it took for them to get there, but it also don't tell us how long they were there before these things or these verses that we're going to look at, how long it took for Abraham to arrive in that, in that area and for his wife to be taken into Abimelech's house. When Abimelech heard Abraham had communicated that Sarah was his sister, he sent and took her. And so the word got around because when Abram got into the area, he began to communicate. I suspect that there were inquiries as to who he was and who he was traveling with. And so he began to communicate what he and Sarah had concocted before they left Ur, that she was his sister. And so the word got to Abimelech concerning Abraham. And in verse two, it says, and Abraham said of Sarah, his wife, she is my sister. And Abimelech, king of Gerar, sent and took Sarah. Now, Jehovah threatens him in a dream. And so while Sarah is in Abimelech's house, he has a visitation in a dream. And he was afflicted. Not only was he afflicted, his wife and his slave girls, as we shall see in verse 18, and here in verse 18, as we'll see in a moment, it tells us what the affliction was. The last time we read about Abraham and Sarah concerning this concoction of the story was in Egypt. And Pharaoh, the Bible says that Jehovah plagued Pharaoh. We don't know what the plague was. Here we're going to find that the affliction was revealed in this passage. In verse three, it says, but Elohim came to Abimelech in a dream by night and said to him, behold, thou art but a dead man for the woman which thou hast taken, for she is a man's wife. And so Abimelech has Sarah in his harem, which I believe it is. and Father visits him, and this conversation that is about to take place is a conversation that is not while Abimelech is awake, but while he is asleep, and it's important for us to see that because we can read this story and we can come away thinking that this was a conversation that they had, which it was, but it was a dream. And so Abimelech, now in the dream, he declares himself to be a man of integrity and he makes the statement that his nation is a righteous nation, which is quite interesting. In verse four, it says, but Abimelech had not come near her, Sarah, and he said in the dream, Lord, wilt thou slay also a righteous nation. So in this conversation, and I suspect that this is not the only conversation that has gone around in Gerar, because 
I would think as a man, try to think as a king, that if I'm going to bring a woman into my house, I want to know all about who she is. I would want to know where she came from. I would want to know everything I could about this person. So even though the text doesn't tell us that, but the text does say something, because remember when Abraham was dealing with Jehovah concerning Sodom and Gomorrah, he said, will you destroy if there's 50 righteous in the city? And he negotiated all the way down to 10. And we come to find out that there was just one and his family. And so Abimelech relationship in conversation with the Almighty is based on the idea of righteousness. So I suspect that Abimelech has heard about where they've come from, the stories surrounding him. And so now he's having this conversation in a dream and he says, will you slay also a righteous nation? (laughs) Said he not unto me, she is my sister. In other words, he's saying, listen, I inquired of the woman. And the response was, is that he said to me, she is my sister. Now, if you note what is said in verse number two, it says, and Abraham said of Sarah, his wife, she is my sister. And Abimelech, king of Gerah, sent and took Sarah. Now we see in the conversation that he's having with the Almighty in a dream that he had a conversation with Abraham. Not only did he have a conversation with Abraham, but he had a conversation with Sarah. And he's saying in this dream with the creator, said he not unto me. In other words, this is a direct conversation where he said, she is my sister. And even she herself said, he is my brother. So he's had a conversation with both of them. And he's relaying to Jehovah this conversation and then goes further to say, in the integrity of my heart and innocency of my hands, have I done this? In other words, he's saying that I'm a man of integrity. (laughs) We are a righteous nation. I'm not some kind of heathen that is just going to go and take a man's wife because of my position, my authority, so on and so forth. In other words, I did my due diligence. I inquired, I asked, I investigated, and this is the result of the conversation I had with him and the result of the conversation that I had with her. And based on this conversation, it was okay because there was no pushback. There was no conflict. And therefore, I operated on integrity. Jehovah agrees with Abimelech as a man of integrity of heart and that he kept Abimelech from sinning against him, which I find quite interesting again, that Jehovah stopped Abimelech from sinning. (laughs) Now, I'm not making this stuff up. 
Here it goes. And Elohim said unto him in a dream, Yea, I know that thou did this in the integrity of your heart. So he says, yeah, you say you're a man of integrity. I have no dispute with that because I know you. For I also withheld thee from sinning against me. You see this? I withheld thee from sinning against me. Therefore suffered I thee not to touch her. In other words, father is saying that he put a hold on Abimelech to where if he hadn't done that, it's possible that Abimelech would have already touched Sarah. But he said, I suffered you not to do it, and I withheld you from sinning against me. Now, here we're going to see a new title bestowed upon Abraham because in the Bible, Abraham is known by many titles, and I just want to point some of them out. We know of him as a father of faith. In Romans 4.11, the Bible says, and he received the sign of circumcision, a seal of the righteousness. Circumcision didn't make Abraham righteous. Abraham believed Jehovah, and it was accounted unto him as righteousness. And Abraham, as a righteous man, now being in covenant with the Almighty, received the circumcision as a seal of his righteousness that he had by faith while he was still uncircumcised. So what is Paul saying? He's saying that Abraham operated by faith. Abraham operated by faith. And this faith that he had while he was still uncircumcised is how he communicated and communed with the Almighty. So his circumcision didn't make him righteous. Circumcision was a seal of the righteousness that he already had by faith. So when he operated in faith, which made him righteous, Father said to him, here is the seal of the covenant we have made and this seal of the covenant that we have made is a seal of circumcision. So a person doesn't need to be circumcised to be a man or woman of faith or to be deemed as righteous. Circumcision was a seal of covenant. It was a covenant that they entered into. Abraham didn't enter into the covenant as being circumcised. Circumcision was a seal of the covenant. The circumcision came after the covenant. So then he is the father of all who believe. Do I need to be circumcised to be a man of faith? No. Do I need to be circumcised to operate in righteousness? No. But if I'm going to be in covenant relationship with the Almighty, 
That's where the circumcision comes in. It wasn't just Abraham who entered into that covenant, but it was Abraham's household. It was all the men of Abraham's house. And so the circumcision is a seal of the covenant, not a seal of righteousness or of faith. And this is why I think people miss it. Because people think that in order for you to be a man of faith, you got to be circumcised. In order for you to be a righteous person, you got to be circumcised. No, the circumcision was a covenant. It was the seal of the righteousness and the faith one already had. So any person who comes to the Almighty by faith is ultimately, as Paul wrote, or as the individuals wrote in Acts chapter 15, that Moses is going to be taught when people come into relationship. And because there's no New Testament, here's the thing. During the time of Yeshua, during the time of his disciples, during the time of the apostles, during the time that the gospel was going from nation to nation among the unbelievers, the Gentiles, as they were referred to, this letter was circulated. And the initial relationship was based on the things that were in the letter. But the letter is not the sum total of the relationship. For some reason, people believe that all that a believer have to do is follow the things that they wrote in Acts chapter 15 concerning not putting a greater burden on the Gentiles. But in the letter, it also stated, for Moses is read in the synagogues every day on the Sabbath. So here's the thing, brothers and sisters. When a person comes into relationship with the creator by faith, they're made righteous. Now, Yeshua said, learn of me. What is known or was known about Yeshua was taught from the law, the writings, and the prophets. So everybody in the first century who would learn of him, how are they going to learn of him? They're going to learn of him from where? The law, the writings, and the prophets. Now, if a person is going to learn of him from the law, the writings, and the prophets, they're not going to do what churches do today and teach people to do today. It's like, here's a Bible disregard the first half, start in the second half, and learn. No, for the first century, they didn't have none of that. So for a Gentile, for a person who was not raised up in the knowledge of the Word, when they got access to the Word, where would they start reading from? From the beginning. Starting in Genesis. Now, all it takes is the first 12 chapters of Genesis. All I got to do is get through 12 tiny chapters. And guess what they're going to hear about? They're going to hear about a covenant. And this covenant is going to be the covenant that was made by the Almighty with Abraham based on faith, which was attributed unto him as righteousness. They're going to read about what Jehovah said to Abraham and his household concerning circumcision. So the first thing a non-believer is going to find out about as they're, they're listening 
to Moses being read from Genesis. You don't even get to Exodus before getting to Genesis and understanding what the covenant is concerning. So the covenant is revealed in the first 12 chapters of the book of Genesis. You see this. So if I'm a new believer, let's say I lived in Antioch or I lived in Corinth and Paul came and he started teaching and he started preaching about Messiah and teaching about this revelation of who Messiah is. And let's say I want to learn more. Now, Paul is gone then I'm probably going to have some knowledge of the Word of God. Now, like Cornelius, who the Bible says he was a man who was convicted, uh, he gave much alms, he had a compassion for the Hebrew people. What is the word they use concerning him when you are um, deep in your faith? Well, I don't have to think about it. I can go to Acts chapter number 10, a devout man. That's the word I'm looking for. Now, if I was Catholic, it would probably jump out on me, but he was devout. See, and when you are a devout person, then there's something that brings about this devoutness unless you establish it on your own merit. In other words, you determine yourself to be righteous based on your ideology of righteousness. But the people in the Bible, righteousness was not established by their own ideology. The idea of being righteous was based on some type of merit that would deem a person righteous because here Abimelech is saying, I'm a man of integrity and my nation is righteous. And Jehovah had a conversation with Abraham. If you could find 50 righteous, or if you could find 10 righteous in that city, I don't destroy it. So who determines righteousness? Jehovah. The Bible says Abraham believed and it was attributed unto him as righteousness, to be just, just in whose sight, just in your own sight or just in the sight of the one who makes the determination of who is just and who is unjust and who is going to judge the just and the unjust. So here, if a person comes into relationship, they hear about this faith and they're hearing the word of Elohim being read If I'm hearing the word of Elohim being read and I hear in chapter 12 that father makes a covenant with Abraham and now anyone who is not circumcised will be cut off. How are you going to be cut off if you ain't in already? A person comes in by faith. A person is made just and righteous by believing. Now that they're in, you can't get cut off if you're not on. (laughs) So if I'm a person who have come in by faith and now I'm hearing the word read and the idea of being cut off is based on this, 
then to maintain my relationship with the Almighty, what would be the natural thing to do? Become circumcised. What if you're not eight days old? Abraham wasn't eight days old when he was circumcised. Isaac was. Ishmael wasn't. The men of Abraham's house was not. And it wasn't just Abraham, but all the people that was associated with him. So Abraham is known as the father of faith. He is the father of all who believe, but have not been circumcised in order that righteousness might be credited to them. How does righteousness become credited? Through faith. Abraham was the father of circumcision. And he's also the father of the circumcised who not only are circumcised, but who also walk in the footsteps of the faith that our father Abraham had before (laughs) he was circumcised. And those who walk in faith like Abraham before he was circumcised will come to a place to where they seal their covenant relationship with the Almighty. Abraham is the father of us all. Now, interesting that Paul is saying these things. Paul is writing, I'm reading from Romans. As the father of us all, therefore the promise comes by faith, so that it may be by grace and may be guaranteed to all Abraham's offspring. But what was the condition? All of Abraham's offspring came in by faith so that it may be by grace and may be guaranteed to all Abraham's offsprings. But here's the caveat. Abraham's offsprings had to be what? Circumcised or they were cut off. Not only to those who are of the law, but also to those who are of the faith of Abraham. Why? Because he is the father of us all. So it's not, the covenant of Abraham is not just to those who were of Israel, those who were of the house of Jacob. You see, because the men of Abraham's house wasn't associated with Israel, nor were they associated with the house of Jacob. They were outside of that relationship. But Abraham, he is the father of us all, according to what Paul wrote. Then there's Abraham, the patriarch, verse 4, Hebrews chapter 7. Just think how great he was. Even the patriarch Abraham gave him a tenth of the plunder, speaking of Melchizedek. And then Abraham, the friend of Elohim, James 2.23. And the scripture was fulfilled, which saith, Abraham believed Elohim, and it was imputed unto him for righteousness, and he was called the friend of Elohim. So all of these titles were upon Abraham And here tonight, we are introduced to Abraham, the prophet. And here's what Jehovah says. 
Now, therefore, while he's speaking to Abimelech in a dream, restore the man, his wife, for he is what? A prophet. Now, did Abraham prophesy? Did Abraham walk in the office of a prophet like we may be accustomed to? Was he like Jeremiah or Ezekiel or any of the prophets who had books named after them? But nevertheless, Father referred to Abraham as a prophet. How was he a prophet when we don't see him walking in the office of a prophet? But here's what we do see. We see that Abraham had the capacity to hear the voice. Abraham not only had the capacity to hear the voice, but Abraham obeyed the voice. And Abraham not only had the ability to hear, and he not only obeyed, but he held the people in his care responsible for the word. Because when Abraham heard the word from the Almighty and believed and then he entered into the covenant. What did he do? He communicated this communication with the people. And as a result of them hearing what Abraham said, based on what the Almighty spoke to him, they came in agreement. And Abraham and all of his household and all the men in his house were circumcised. So Abraham spoke for Jehovah. Now Jehovah is speaking to Abimelech. The dream was real as far as Abimelech is concerned because what happened? As soon as he awakened, he acted on what it took place in the dream. In Genesis 20, verse 8, Therefore Abimelech rose early in the morning and called all his servants and told all these things in their ears, and the men were so afraid. So father visited the king. The king had an encounter with the almighty in a dream. He awakened and called the servants of his house, told them what he had heard, told them what had been spoken to them. They became fearful. And now Abimelech confronts Abraham. And I have a question, which I said, you know, as we go through Genesis, I'll bring up from time to time. What language did Abimelech speaks? Hmm? Ask Methuselah. Uh, okay, well, can't ask him. But anyway, does the Bible reveal to us what language Abimelech speaks? And I say this because as Abraham journeyed from Ur, he dwells in Haran. He leaves Haran. He comes into Canaan. He goes up to Egypt. He comes out of Egypt. He has relationships with these individuals in the land in which he dwelt, confederates. So he was able to communicate with all of these individuals in all of these different places. And the question is, the language that was spoken. Now, I asked, did he, some people say, well, Abraham spoke Hebrew. Well, did Abimelech speak Hebrew? Did the confederates that Abraham was in relationship with, that he joined together and went and redeemed Lot, were they Hebrew speaking? When he bought land, 
in the land. What language were they? And now he's having a conversation with Abimelech. What language? Then Abimelech called Abraham, verse 9, and said unto him. So they're speaking to each other. They had already spoken to each other. What have you done unto us? And what have I offended thee that thou hast brought on me and my kingdom a great sin? Thou hast done these unto me that ought not to be done. And Abimelech said unto Abraham, What saw thou that thou hast done this thing? And so here, here are the four questions or the statements and questions. What have you done to us? See, Abimelech blames Abraham for the encounter that he has. He says, what have I offended you that you would bring such great sin on my kingdom? Now note that Abraham was operating out of fear. You have done things to us that should not be done. Now, Abimelech, as he communicates with the Almighty, says, listen, I'm a man who operated on the integrity of my heart, but the statement that he's making to Abraham is that was not something that was done out of integrity. Abraham wasn't operating out of integrity. Abraham was operating out of fear. And then he asks the question, because sometimes you wonder, what do people see in you that causes them to deal with you the way they do. So he said, what did you see that would cause you to do this to us? Did we display some kind of behavior or manner that would cause you to bring such reproach on us to where the Almighty from heaven would visit me in my sleep? And here's how Abraham responded. Abraham said, because I thought. So he operates in a thought. Surely the fear of Elohim is not in this place. And what caused him to think that? I would think that Abraham would think that based on where he came from. Father said, because of his relationship with Abraham, he's not going to hide what he's about to do in Sodom. Abraham negotiates with the Almighty concerning righteous people. The last thing Abraham saw was smoke rising from Sodom and Gomorrah. Abraham decided that this is too close to me, so I need to leave this area. And if you notice that he moved further, if I could repull this map, Abraham went away from the area that he was in toward the Mediterranean, you see. I would want to say that it's southeast. So he moves south and eastward or toward the Mediterranean. Basically, he's getting out of the region he saw the smoke rising. So now, Abraham, even before he left, Ur had already concocted this idea and he concluded. What he concluded was, I know the relationship that I have. I know the communications Father has spoken to me. And based on my negotiation with the Almighty concerning righteous people, then where I've left, obviously, 
there's not righteous folks in that area. Now I'm projecting that where I'm going, that these people aren't righteous either. And we can project on people based on our own experiences from where we've come from. And that's what he did. And so he's saying, what did you see? Why would you deal with us like this? And so he says, because I thought surely the fear of Elohim is not in this place and they will slay me for my wife's sake. In other words, I'm going into a place, they're going to kill me. And not to mention the fact he's already had the same situation with Pharaoh a few years earlier. (laughs) You know, when you're dealing with powerful people, powerful people have a tendency to do whatever it is they want to do at the expense of those underneath them. So Abraham says this, and then he tries to justify his response. And yet, indeed, she is my sister. She is the daughter of my father, but not the daughter of my mother. And she became my wife. Now, we touched on this issue in chapter 12, and Abram did the same with Pharaoh. Was Sarai, Abram's sister, half-sister, or was she his niece? Now, we pointed this out. If she was the daughter of his father, she was his sister. But notice what Abram said. She is the daughter of my father, but not the daughter of my mother. Which suggests on the face that either Terah, Abram's father, had a child with another woman other than Abram's mother. There's no indication. So, here's a fact. Abram and Sarah was married before they left Ur. They left Ur along with Lot. Fact, Sarah was 10 years younger than Abram, which meant she was born 10 years after Abraham. We do have facts that we can operate on And then we try to make sense out of the information that we have. Fact, there is no mention of Terah having any other children before he died. And we went through this because in Genesis 11, 27, and if you read through Genesis 11, it tells us such and such died at a certain age and they had other sons and daughters. But here's how it reads in in Genesis for Terah. Now, these are the generations of Terah. Terah begat Abraham, Abram, Nahor, and Haran, and Haran begat Lot. And the days of Terah was 205 years, and Terah died in Haran. So it doesn't say Terah had other sons and daughters like those before Terah and even after. Unlike those who died previously, it is not mentioned that Terah had other sons and daughters. Then we looked at a possible clue. In Genesis eleven twenty nine and 30. And Abram and Nahor took them wives. The name of Abram's wife was Sarai. And the name of Nahor's wife, Milcah, the daughter of Haran. So now notice what happens here. And Abram and Nahor took them wives. 
Now, Nahor took as a wife the daughter of his brother. You see that? Abraham and Nahor took them wives. The name of Abram's wife was Sarah, and the name of Nahor's wife, Milcah, the daughter of Haran, the father of Milcah, and the father of Iscah. But Sarah was barren. She had no child. So Nahor, Abraham's brother, took a wife from his brother, daughter, and it is possible that Abram did the same. It's a possibility. It's something to think about. But Sarah was barren. Sarah may have been the daughter of Haran, the sister of Lot, Milcah, and Iscah. It's not far-fetched. There's a possibility. Because one, Terah is not mentioned that he had any daughters or any other children besides these three. That would have made Sarah Abraham's niece, not his half-sister or sister, as Abraham stated to Abimelech in Genesis 20:12. Now notice, Abraham didn't say she's my half-sister. He said she was my sister and she was the daughter of my father, but not the daughter of my mother. There's another possibility. And that is the term sister in the Hebrew could refer to a relative. Now, it's not uncommon for individuals within the Bible to take their son's children and call them their own, to take their brother's children and to call them their own. Now, we know that as we get further into the Torah, that there are provisions to where if a brother marries a woman and dies without producing a child by that woman, then the next of kin, the brother, is to take that wife, that woman, and produce a child, and that child that this person produces from that woman is not their child. It's the child of the brother. So how do you produce a child by a woman that's not your child? We know that when it came down to the 12 patriarchs or Ephraim and Manasseh, that Ephraim and Manasseh was the sons of Joseph, but yet their father, Jacob, called them his sons. He took them and made them his sons. It's not far-fetched. The Hebrew for this word, sister, could be sister by the same parents, half-sister by the same father, or relative. And then in one sense, in a different uh, Strong's, I believe, or different interlinear concordance, it uses the term adopted. To where when two people adopt a child, that child becomes the child of the parents who adopted it, even though they're not biological. 
And then the other children of that family, it becomes their brother, sister, even though there's no biological connection. So we, those who are grafted into Israel, become heirs, even though there may not be a biological connection, but the connection is our Father who is in heaven through faith in Messiah Yeshua. So it's not uncommon for one to be brought into relationship as a child, even though it may not be biological. It's a point. And it is certainly not far-fetched as it relates to Scripture. So, this plan that Abraham concocted with Sarah, we know that it was crafted before they left Ur of the Chaldees. In 20 verse 13, Genesis 20 verse 13, and it came to pass when Elohim caused me to wander from my father's house that I said unto her, this is my kit, this is thy kindness which thou shalt show me at every place, whether we shall come, say of me, he is my brother. Now, we don't know how many times she says this. We know they traveled from different places. We have two places where it's recorded, but it's not the only two places they went. So it's recorded. And so we don't know how many times they played that role. But we know that this was not done when they got to Pharaoh, according to Genesis chapter 20, verse 13. And when we read it in Genesis chapter 12, we realized by jumping into Genesis chapter 20, verse 13, they didn't concoct this plan in Egypt. They concocted this plan before they ever left Ur. Verse 14. And Abimelech took sheep and oxen and men, servants and women, servants, and gave them unto Abraham and restored him Sarah, his wife. And Abimelech said, Behold, my land is before thee. Dwell where it pleases you. And then he reproves Sarah. Now he's already confronted Abraham. He said, Why did you do this to me? What did you see? Why would you cause this sin to come upon my people, my nation? And now, he reproved Sarah. And unto Sarah, he said, Behold, I've given your brother a thousand pieces of silver. This is equivalent to about 25 pounds of silver. Behold, he is to thee a covering of the eyes unto all that are with thee and with all other. And then it says, Thus she was reproved. Now, if it happened again, we don't see it recorded. Jehovah had afflicted Abimelech, his wife, and his slave girls because of Sarah. And here's the affliction. So Abram prayed unto Elohim, and Elohim healed Abimelech. Now, he told Abimelech to ask Abraham to pray. So he put this authority. He says, he is a prophet, and he will pray for you, and I shall heal you. Now, if you missed it, We'll go back. I want you to see because it's so easy to miss stuff. Verse 7. Now, therefore, restore the man his wife, for he is a prophet, and he shall pray for you, and you shall live. 
Now, we don't know the affliction, but we know that it was a life and death matter. Know that thou shalt surely die. Here's what we don't see, but it seems to be there. As we go back, we'll see that when Father told Abimelech, listen, he is a prophet and he's going to pray for you. And in verse 17, notice what it says. So Abraham prayed unto Elohim and Elohim healed Abimelech. What was Abimelech's issue? What did he need healing of? Because obviously from this verse, something was going on in Abimelech and something was going on with Abimelech's wife and something was going on with Abimelech's maidservants. And it appears that no matter what happened, no matter how much busy they got, nobody got pregnant. Which suggests to me, here's what it suggests to me, that there was a period of time in this area that Abraham dwelt in that land that the people realized, hey, you know, they may have been producing children until this guy showed up and I took this woman into my house and all of a sudden everybody's womb is closed. How long will it take you to learn whether or not a person is unable to get pregnant. It would take months, wouldn't it? Well, that's the process. Because even Jehovah says, I'm going to visit Abraham by this time next year, you're going to have a child. So we can safely assume that the process of bearing a child is at least nine months. And anyone who has tried to get pregnant, anyone who has desired to get pregnant, I mean, it is even, it's kind of difficult to determine you're pregnant before three or four months, two months. If you miss your monthly twice, there's a good chance. But you can miss your monthly twice and still not be pregnant. And before testing, you know, it's like, okay, you wait and you wait and you wait and you wait. But here's what we know. Abimelech had an issue. What that issue was, we don't know. But when Abraham prayed for him, Abimelech was healed. And not only was he healed, his wife was healed and his maidservants and they bare children. And so here's what we know. We know that they concocted a plan Sarah obeyed her husband, and Jehovah honored her. Here's what it says. For Jehovah had fast closed up all the wombs of the house of Abimelech. Now, if he closed up all the wombs, no matter what Abimelech did, nobody got pregnant. So some would say, well, you know, Abimelech's issue is that he may have had some kind of dysfunction that he could not impregnate his wife or any of the women in his house or whatever. The Bible doesn't say that. But what the Bible does say is that Abimelech needed to be healed and the women, his wife and the slave girls 
could not produce children. But notice what verse 18 says. For Jehovah had fast closed up all the wombs of the house of Abimelech because of who? Sarah. And we see the same thing taking place in Genesis chapter 12. When Sarah does the same thing in Pharaoh's house, the Bible says it was because of Sarah. Father honored Sarah who obeyed her husband. Interesting stuff. I'll tell you, when there's rebellion in the house, it's what I found, and and you'll see, there's a pattern in the Bible. When there is an authority order that Father has established, and it is clear that Father established an order in the home. Now, this whole idea of, of what it means to be head of the house and how all of this plays out is based on individuals' teachings. My understanding is that there's an equality among a man and a woman, but there's an order by which the Almighty establishes in a household. You see. And this order is demonstrated by Father coming to the man and then to the woman by the order that Father has established in the kingdom, by the order he has established in the body of believers. And so there seems to be an order by which he operates. Now, as an apostle and an overseer, all that does is it puts me in a position of authority. That's what it does. As a husband, what it does is it puts you in a position of authority. Now, you can abuse your authority. You can abuse your power. You can misuse your power. You can misuse your authority. But here's what I found is that if I am under authority and I operate under authority with the integrity of operating under that authority, Father will honor me who is honoring the authority that I'm under and deal with the authority who may be abusing his power. This is why I believe the centurion says, listen, you don't have to come to my house. All you got to do is speak the word for I'm a man under authority and I'm a man of authority. I have found that if we don't operate under the authority that we are under, it is very difficult for those who are under our authority to honor us. The rebellion you sow will be the rebellion you reap. The disrespect you sow will be the disrespect you reap. Parents have realized that after they have children and they start dealing with some of the same rebellious attitudes and behaviors of their children, they reflect back to their own rebellious attitude as a child with their parents. Whatever a man sows is what they're going to reap. You cannot, and I don't care if you think that what they're doing and what they're saying is not right. When you dishonor the king, you will pay the price of dishonoring the king, even though the king may not be right. And so father has established order. Yeshua understands that order. 
He places order in the home. He places order in the body. He places order in government. And when everybody operates in the authority that they've been given under the authority that have been placed over them and exercise their authority in a godly way, then what you can expect is for Father to honor you. When you walk in integrity, and this is the argument of Abimelech, it's like everything I did, I did it with the integrity of my heart. You see, I didn't just take the man's wife. The man said, this is my sister. She said, he's my brother. They made agreements. See, so even the king who had every right to take whatever he wanted, when David did it, David paid. When we do it, we too will pay. It is so important for us to honor authority, for us to exercise authority. And so even though Abraham operated out of fear, Sarah obeyed her husband and father dealt with both Pharaoh. Think about this. Sarah obeyed her husband to the point of being in another man's house with the possibility of having to sleep with another man because of what her husband asked her to do. And in both cases that we have in the Bible, Father honored her. Why? Because she honored her husband. With that, I close. Thank you for listening to our podcast today. You can find more inspirational teachings and download our free ebooks on our ministry website at arthurbaileyministries.com. Please follow us on Facebook at House of Israel Arthur Bailey Ministries, on Instagram at Apostle Arthur Bailey, on Twitter at Apostle Bailey, and you can subscribe to our YouTube page at Apostle Arthur Bailey One. If you're in the Charlotte area, please come and fellowship with us. We'll do our best to make you feel right at home. Our address is on our website at the About link under Contact Us. Again, thank you for joining us, and until next time, Shalom Saints.